Welcome to the Jackets Online Podcast. I'm your host, Kelly Quillen, joined by managing editor Russell Johnson, and we're going to talk about all things Georgia Tech. Uh, it's been kind of a crazy two weeks since we last joined you from Atlanta and Ohio, respectively. And um, the, the Jackets basketball teams now move themselves into the good side of the bubble for the NCAA tournament. Football team picked up an offensive line transferred for the 2021 season and the baseball team has gotten off to a decent start for the 2021 season as well so we'll try to touch on each of those things and a little bit of uh, quarterback recruiting talk as we uh, kind of dive into things but first of all I guess the, the hot news is the basketball team that's been on a run with um, another ACC win over Duke on Tuesday night and um, an overtime thriller that probably didn't need to be an overtime thriller, but it's Duke. It added some suspense. You had TV Teddy on the whistle. And um, it was an exciting game to go to as a, a media person covering sort of a historic moment where Georgia Tech might have punched uh, Duke's bubble for the first time since the season where Coach K hurt his back. And before that, you'd have to go back to his first three years at Duke where he had a season where he didn't make the tournament. So... Uh, a really fascinating game. Teams have been playing really well. They go to Winston-Salem on Friday. I'll be there, uh, I think, as the lone Georgia Tech media representative. But uh, we try to bring you the best and the, the deepest coverage of all things Georgia Tech. So, you know, if I have to hit the road a little bit, that's fine. And, uh, you know, kind of, Russell, you were watching it at home on TV. What did you think of uh, a Tuesday night's game? You know, I mean, you know, kind of like you said, you know, it was it was Duke. It was a uh, it was a, a tough finish, uh, both in, in regulation and and in overtime. Um, but you know, they they were able to get the job done, and and I think that's something that you know, for the past several years, um, from an outsider perspective, and and even from you know when I, I started covering Georgia Tech with you, you know, a, a couple years back, uh, it always seemed like this moment would be when they would fall. And to see them come out on top, you could tell the excitement of the, the fan base because, like, every time I would refresh the game thread, it would have, like, 40 or 50 new replies. And it wasn't the, the replies from the, the people who you don't normally see because they are only in there when someone when they're losing. And, and just, you know, seeing that and then, you know, seeing the reaction from everybody on social media, uh, it, it, it was good. It was good. Uh, you know, the pastor worked, worked really hard, you know, building everything. This is, you know, his recruiting class, his team, his program. And, you know, Moses Wright, you know, continued to show why he should be in the discussion, if not the discussion for ACC player of the year. Yeah, I think Moses did a really nice job kind of taking over at stretches for them. Jose Alvarado battling the hamstring. He's been kind of their, uh, most consistent secondary score, even more so than Mike DeVoe's kind of been hot and cold game to game. Um, you know, Jose has been really consistent. He had an off night. He's struggling, you know, finishing and, and shooting. I think a little bit with that hamstring being not hundred percent. Mike DeVoe steps up, plays really well in the second half, hits some big free throws in overtime um, to kind of help put the game away. Uh, Jordan Usher played some nice minutes. Clay Moore did a great job on defense. Bubba Parham really got in some kids' heads, even though he had a couple of knuckleheaded plays himself. Uh, uh, one fouling on a three and then um, throwing a ball away uh, late in the game. But, you know, yeah. overall, if you kind of look at it, they um, 
there were all these situations where any other time that team in the past Georgia Tech team would have folded, right? You make those mistakes. You have Jose miss the three, just take a terrible shot at the end of regulation um, on just kind of a weird broken down play that didn't work uh, and airball it and, and Duke gets a timeout. They run down the court. They get an okay look at three. It rims out, you know, earlier in the season, they lost a game just like this where you had Clemson bank in a, a three when they were up and Jose had missed two free throws. And so, you know, it, it seems like the tide's sort of turning here a little bit for, for passengers crew. Obviously, Friday night's game will be really big against uh, Wake Forest. Wake Forest is kind of interesting because they live and die by the three, right? So when oh, they yeah. fall, um, they can be dangerous. Florida State learned that lesson uh, going to overtime with them. But they've been in the crapper for the last uh, three weeks, basically, since that Florida State loss. And this will be their first game with fans, so you wonder if that gives them a little buzz. I don't know. Steve Forbes kind of laid low this week in terms of talking to the media. Uh, I'm, I'm very curious kind of what – if Wake has any fight left in them here or if they're just done. It'll be really interesting to see. Georgia Tech's got a lot to play for right now. They can finish anywhere from fourth to seventh in the ACC. If uh, – if they win and Louisville loses, they'll be the fourth seed and have the double bye. If Louisville wins, they'll be the five seed. If Georgia Tech loses somehow to Wake Forest, the best they could be is the fifth seed. And they could fall away to seven if Clemson and UNC both win. So a lot to play for for Georgia Tech. That double bye is a huge thing because they don't really need wins right now. You just want to have the shortest path to maybe winning the ACC championship or to get out, right? You'd be one and done and get out. You don't want to be playing three or four games and have a chance to get somebody hurt before the tournament. You don't need to be kind of wasting your time playing Miami or Pitt or NC State. Uh, you want to kind of get get in, get out. Either you're winning or you win a game and lose the second or whatever it is. You just don't want to be in a situation where you're playing, you know, um, on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday or whatever, and you're playing three extra games, you don't need that right now. So um, to me, you have to uh, – the way I look at this is a big picture thing. You're trying to make a run in the NCAA tournament. If you get hot and you win the ACC tournament, that's great. I honestly am not sure that that would be the best-case scenario, even for Georgia Tech, just because I feel like that's a lot of extra games on those guys. But it's going to be really interesting. The, there's a lot of parity this year in the in – the, ACC. I've watched, you know, every team except for NC State and um, Boston College. I think I've seen everybody in person this year because um, I saw Florida State. I've seen Virginia. I did not see Virginia Tech in person this year yet, but, um, you know, it, it, oh, it's going to be interesting to see, like, how good the ACC is, how good the Big Ten is. The SEC, you haven't really seen much from these leagues because there's such a limited um, non-conference schedule. So you got maybe like the ACC Big Ten Challenge or the SEC Big 12 played each other. Like you don't have the, those normal tournaments that a lot of that kind of all got scrubbed or was like sort of half-assed versions of it or whatever. So um, I think every, that's why you're seeing, I think, such a weird – um, variance in the bracketology too when you look at it that I think these guys have no idea how to see these teams because they're all kind of a game, two games apart in their 
conference standings. Some of them played a bunch of non-conference games. And then some of them played like two or three. And some of them played none. So it's like, how do you do that math? So it's good to me, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens with um, – with the way the seeding goes down, I've seen Georgia Tech, you know, 10 or 11 seed right now. Um, and I think most of those seedings believe they'll beat Wake Forest and maybe be one and done in the ACC tournament. So it'll be interesting to see what, um, you know, win Friday and then a, a win or two in Greensboro if that changes the math. And sometimes it doesn't change it for the better. I don't know that being 8-9 is necessarily the best situation either. That's always a tough draw. So, um I don't know. I don't. This is uncharted waters for us, Russell. It's been over a decade since we've had to even think about this really particularly closely. Uh, you know, BG came close once. They were a little bit close last year, maybe a couple years ago. They they had some runs where they maybe looked like they were turning the corner and didn't quite turn it. But really, this is the first time we've had a chance to talk about bracketology since um, you know I probably had hair at the time. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, my my son is about to be in middle school, was not born yet. Like, um, that's how long it's been. So, um, I, I think there's it's a lot to be excited about. I know that um, from talking to people that, you know, Todd Stansbury wants to take care of Coach Pastner. They're very pleased with the the progression they've made. They're going to be smart about it, of course. I think there's a lot of pressure not to go crazy um, on any type of deal but he i think he gets extended here i think they take care of like coach revno and coach wilkins and coach schwartz have done a really nice job and they want to bring that kind of core back and it'll be interesting to see which seniors come back because due to the covid thing ncaa has given all of them an extra year but yeah guy like jose alvarado as a young child um moses wright who has maybe some nba potential yeah jose sort of on that edge of probably being a guy who play overseas but you never know. And then, you know, you have Jordan Usher, who to me is a guy who would really benefit from another year at Georgia Tech. So would Moses in terms of their player development. And then, um, you know, you look at Bubba, you know, I have a hard time imagining him coming back, but you never know. And then Mike DeVoe's the X factor there as a junior um, because he's a guy who would like to play pro and was getting looked at a year ago until he kind of slumped in ACC play a little bit. But it's going to be interesting to see what you, how much of this core is back, and then they have some really nice pieces for the future. You have Kyle Sturdivant, who's a really talented point guard that would play on a lot of teams um, in, in heavier minutes right now, but is uh, kind of being groomed to be the long-term replacement for Jose. You have Debo Coleman coming in, who is really an amazing talent, like just a kind of freak uh, wing guard can shoot the three, handle the ball, can uh, play above the rim a little bit. Just a really talented guy. And then the, Miles Kelly and Jalen Moore, too, in that class. So, uh, And then they're going to go get kids in the transfer portal. And that's the one thing that I think tech people don't really necessarily understand is if you're in the tournament and you're a competitive team and Georgia Tech's fun to watch, kids are going to see this team, and it's going to help sell uh, transfer portal kids, right? It's one of the things that – when you're fun to watch, uh, fun to uh, fun to watch on TV, and it, the the style of play is fun, it attracts a lot of people. It's something that um, Coach Collins is sort of trying with football. That's been a little bit. It's a lot harder there to 
kind of turn that tide. It's not the same as basketball, with, but, but, but with basketball, they might be able to get their Olivier Saar in the next class, like a big center that's a rim protector or an interesting veteran point guard that can come in and play with Kyle Sturdivant. So uh, I, I see no reason why this is a one-year run. You know, this is an old, 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 old team and they're going to win this year and they'll go to the tournament and then whatever happens, happens. And then it's going to be a hard reset next year. I don't think that's the case. I think they're still going to be a top 10 team in the ACC going into next year with what they have coming back and what, what they're likely to add and what they've added already through recruiting. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I think, um, you know, the, the whole thing was, was always the get old, stay old. And, you know, what you just talked about with, you know, being able to add pieces in the transfer portal at positions of need, you know, that, that will increase, you know, like you said, that the watchability of the team and the program helps a ton in terms of, you know, recruits are going to want to watch that. Like kids are going to want to watch that who are interested in transferring. And, you know, it's, it's not going to be like this instant thing where, you know, throughout that tournament, kids are going to be entering the portal and then making a decision two weeks later. Like the the way that rosters are getting constructed in basketball, like it's going to be like probably in the summer before everything's said and done, and you know final decisions are made and, and rosters are put together. Um, you know at that time you'll have you'll have Devo on campus, you'll have Jalen on campus, and you'll have Miles on campus as well. And instead, you'll still have Kyle, and then all the seniors will have made their decisions at that point too. So you know the the roster management piece, and you know that's really kind of sounds like football but you know the roster management piece is kind of up in the air right now because of the the seniors and whether or not they do end up coming back um you know you you spoke about jose being somebody who could play overseas i could definitely see that um especially you know with the young child and everything like that you know being ready to move on to the the next chapter um i think that's something that you know a lot of people talk about and a lot of people you know hype up about you know go, trying to go to the nba declaring for the draft you know, a lot of these kids, they, they usually do that, but then they don't have their degree. And then when you add in that layer at Georgia Tech, you know, in all sports, whether it's football, basketball, anything, if you have that degree and you see your either your playing days ending or your need for finances increasing, you're going to make the, the right decision for you, whether it's you know, leaving early, whether it's, you know, just quitting the sport altogether or just, you know, like I said, moving, moving on and seeing how that happens with the roster that the pastor has, that Collins has, and just, you know, like I said, seeing what happens. Yeah, I think that, you know, from talking to Josh and, and talking about, talking to people around the program too, that it could be two months after the season ends before you have all of the seniors make their decisions. And the thing is, they don't count against your 13th scholarship cap. So quite frankly, they can go get two or three players, regardless of what, um, regardless of what uh, you know happens with um, with Jose or or Jordan or whoever. And Josh should have an idea of at least where there might be. My guess is there'll be like one guy probably waffling towards the two month marker. I think he, even if they don't say it publicly, they will give him an idea of what's going on. They're not wanting to hang Josh out to dry. So. Uh, you know, and it's going to be interesting too because kids theoretically may be able to take visits come the end of May and into the summer. 
that's something that really hurt this group last year. I think Josh had planned to bring in a, a big center and they were sort of stuck. And I think the one thing that you can really look at that, that um, is encouraging is the guys they brought in through the portal, quote unquote portal, which didn't always exist when some of them came in, but James Banks was a guy they developed, um, you know, was a, a highly touted high school recruit, but didn't do anything at Texas developed him in two years into a very solid um, great defensive player, solid offensive player. Uh, you know, uh, you look at Jordan Usher and how he's developed um, really over the last 16 months or so into a really talented player, Bubba Parham, who was a guy who was playing at BMI, you know, Kyle Sturdivant was a guy that was the third man out at point guard at, at USC and comes in here and has done a really nice job. So, Looking at how they've used the portal, Rodney Howard they've added has given them some quality minutes as a guy that's incredibly raw um, that probably got hurt by the, the lack of summer practices that they would normally have. So that's the other yeah. piece with – so when people kind of complain about the bench piece of it, the part they don't realize too with that is they didn't expect to have Jordan Mecca go down for the year with a back injury as a true freshman. They expected to have full summer workouts, full – um, kind of fall workouts even leading up into the season and uh, going five on five and they weren't able to do any of that stuff. They were doing individual workouts and when you're a big man like Rodney Howard, it's just not the same. So his rebounding and shot blocking and stuff, I think has been a little stunted by this. So they're not getting what they want out of him or Saba um, compared to what they probably would have got if they'd had a normal off season leading up to this year. And then you have Tristan Maxwell hurt his foot Um and has just not been able to really play this year, but a handful of games. So, you know, all things considered, I think they've done a nice job managing the rotation, managing who's healthy to play and who can contribute right away. And this is going to be really where you kind of see um, and learn a lot about this program and and kind of the future of it over the next couple of weeks here. If they can, they're a team that on paper is poised to be capable of making a run. Now, obviously, a lot depends on who you get matched up with. Um, they have trouble with teams that are really good at shooting threes from the outside at a high percentage. So that could be dangerous if you get the wrong team in the first round draw. I mean, that that's the NCAA tournament so much about who you're playing more than anything else. Like, you know, there's just bad – if you're Virginia, Virginia – you know, can run into a team that's a high-octane offense and, and get into trouble. You know, they had the 116 loss a few years ago. So, I, you know, I think all bets are off when you get to the tournament, but it's nice to be talking about using the words Georgia Tech and the NCAA tournament and not having the word banned in the middle of it um, for the first time and also having it be a positive thing where they're on the bubble and there's bubble talk and all of this stuff that's just been missing for a while. And, um, yeah. You know, uh, I think that it's bubble thread has been fascinating. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to see kind of how it, how how much every game impacts like where teams are, and uh, you know, like Michigan State got blown out the other night, and like how much that messed their chances up, and um, you know, or like uh, Indiana getting killed by somebody, or yeah. you know, all of these different things kind of have these ripples and. And then there's like an upset and somebody gets upset that was on the bubble or someone pulls an upset win and gets back onto the bubble. North Carolina has been a team that's kind of stormed on lately. And 
Uh, you know, if they hadn't lost to Marquette, they'd be in really good shape right now. It'll be interesting to see that Duke Carolina game because they may be playing each other to go to the tournament. You know, yeah. like um, so it's it's going to be really fascinating to see how many bids the ACC gets where Georgia Tech ends up in all of it. And um, yeah, I'm happy for Josh. Josh is a good guy. He got caught into a weird situation with that Ron Bell crap. Josh is like one of the um, I don't know how to describe it. He's um, like um, such a uh, genuine, like trusting person. And so I can see how he would get worked by in that situation and how a lot of that stuff kind of unfolded. And some of it was clearly behind his back because, you know, a lot, there's a lot of people who kind of know what happened. And I'm happy for him that they got the NC, they actually won an appeal over the NCAA. That's the other thing that's freaked me out about this year. Georgia Tech also raised like a record amount of money. I mean, it's like the I'm expecting frogs to rain down from the sky here in a minute because this is like the opposite of every bit of my experience for the last, you know, 12 years or whatever it's been covering Georgia Tech. But, um, you know, it, it's, it's been, um, it's been really interesting. So, Hopefully the uh, the basketball team can go on a little run here, give everyone something to be excited about. Georgia Tech spring football is um, three weeks away from Tuesday. Uh, so the 23rd, they start up. Spring games, April 23rd on a Friday night. Uh, you know, the big news there was the pickup of Kenneth Kirby from Norfolk State, offensive lineman. Um, so, you know, some questions about Zach Quinney and if he's going to play and – you know, they just needed another offensive tackle, quite frankly. I mean, you have Jordan Williams and you had um, – last year you had Jordan Williams and Zach Quinney and Charlie Clark, and that was it. Like, that was all he was comfortable playing, Brent Key. Yeah. Um, and Charlie didn't play a whole lot, and Charlie was not also fully healthy. Um, he ends up medically retiring early. You, you know, Quinney, I think, is probably going – sounds like he's graduating and maybe looking at job opportunities. So now you're in a situation with um, you have Devin Cochran, the kid who was supposed to be in last year, comes in now. So you pencil him at left tackle. And you have Jordan Williams, who was up and down as a true freshman. Now you have an opportunity to have someone to rotate with him, someone that he can work with that will push him. Um, and then you have a guy who can also play behind. You can either flip him or, or Kirby. They can – play behind Cochran as well that gives you three tackles right and then hopefully out of the younger kids they can find a fourth tackle they're happy with whether that's Rankins or Wing Green or Ja'Kai Lefwich or um, you know Weston Franklin there's a bunch of guys who are sort of combo guys like Weston Franklin can play center or tackle or Ryan Spires or um, yeah. K Coots or um, there's a few of them so it's like you know, where do those guys fit in? So we'll see. Um, I'm a, um, kind of curious about uh, Kirby. This was kind of a very quick romance, it seems like. Um, is that kind of how you read it as you started to cover this uh, recruitment? Yeah, it, uh, it definitely developed quickly. Um, you know, when he first entered the, the, the transfer portal, you know, everybody saw the tweet from our, our Rivals Portal account. You know, talking about how he's uh, this kid, this guy's an NFL talent, and he's gonna look to, look to go somewhere where he can make an impact. He can, uh, you know, get his graduate degree and then move forward. 
in his, in his life and to the NFL. Um, you know, he did an interview with some website that continued to get posted after he committed, just, you know, like basically like a, an entrance interview for an NFL draft candidate. And everybody was fascinated by that. But like you said, you know, his recruitment really picked up quickly. Um, he talked to Florida State and a handful of other Power 5 schools about a week before he ended up pulling the trigger for Georgia Tech. Um, you know, it, it came out of nowhere in terms of them even recruiting him. And then it was about 48 to 72 hours after that where he committed. You know, I really didn't even have a chance to um, get like a full story up, didn't get to get in touch with the coaches like I would like to. You know, there, there was really no time for that because of how quickly everything progressed. Um, you know, and Kirby will, when he does arrive, he's not, he's not going to be someone who's going to be there for spring practice. He's going to be there in the fall. He's going to be there at the same time the, um, the other group of five transfer, they added Keon White. They'll both be there. The only difference is, is you know, right now Keon's in Atlanta getting, finishing up his degree online and, you know, adjusting. To, to life in Atlanta, so he's fully ready to make an impact. Um, Kirby's not going to, doesn't have that uh, luxury. You know, he's finishing up his degree at, in, in Norfolk, Virginia, and then once he gets that done, um, you know, the, there's also a lot of questions. Well, first, you know, once he gets that done, his degree, he'll um, move down to Atlanta and be there in the, the summer and for fall practice. Um, but there was a lot of questions about. Um, Norfolk State season, and I, I did a, a little bit of research. Um, you know, they the 2020 season got pushed to the spring, and then it turned out that Norfolk State ended up actually opting out of the season, which is why he obviously hasn't played. And so, you know, you've got two tackle prospects um, who could very easily end up getting drafted in the 2022 NFL draft in you know, Devin Cochran and, and Kenneth Kirby. But you've also got two tackle prospects who haven't played a game since the 2019 season. So, you know, spring practice and working with offensive line coach Brent Key is going to be, I mean, for lack of better words, it's going to be key. But, like, it's going to be really important to see, you know, what, what's there. Like I said, Cochran's got the advantage because he's going to be there for spring practice. He's there in workouts right now. You know, he's building a relationship with his teammates. And, you know, like you said, you know, when everything's going to get kind of settled during spring practice and then all of a sudden they, the rest of the freshman report and, and here comes a potential NFL offensive tackle, you know, heading to campus with them. And, you know, I would, that's not going to create problems, but it's going to create competition. And, you know, as you, you, you kind of said and, and joked in the, uh, the thread about it, the you know, competition is king and that's something that, they've preached and by, you know, taking a commitment from someone like Kirby, you know, they're, they're practicing what they're preaching. And I think that's important. I mean, that's really important. Well, I think right now it is clear and I've tried to sort of illustrate this, that they, the, they think the days of getting their ass kicked and being three touchdown dogs and games are over. Like they want to be competitive with everybody. They want to go bowling and they want to be, um, you know, doubling their wins at least this next season. So, you know, if not better than that. So that's the, that's the goal they're setting, and they're trying to jump into um, 
you know, six, seven, eight win type team, a team that's competitive in the coastal. And the reality is if you go back and look at the, the way they've played, they've had these halves where they were terrible, Boston college, um, Syracuse, they kind of took them out of games and they've had games they've been in very competitively like Pitt or NC state where they had opportunities where they squandered them. If you just fix those kind of issues that you were having and you have a reliable field goal kicker, which they added through the portal, um, maybe that pushes you over that hump and gets you into that bowl area where you're competitive for a bowl game. And the league's getting harder, right? Miami's recruiting at a high level, even though we don't know if Manny Diaz can actually coach or not yet. Um, <clears throat> so it tongue in cheek a little bit. You know, it's funny is Jeff and them are all, they're big on Manny. They like Manny a lot, but um, I, I'm not a Manny Diaz fan as a guy that grew up a Texas Longhorn fan. Uh, I, I'm more than aware of his uh, shortcomings as a, a coordinator, Manny, but um you know, or North Carolina, what they're doing right now is incredible. Narduzzi's built a, a very solid program that's going to win six to eight games every year at Pitt. Um, you know, Duke is, if Duke's healthy, they're competitive in a bowl team, and they're just always paper thin, and they got paper thinned out this past year and were terrible. But they yeah. had, you know, like seven guys that were – either opt-outs or gone for the season by the time Georgia Tech played them. So it's that's yeah. a different animal too. So it's like you start looking around the league and there's no like layups, right? And you got to play Clemson, you got to play Georgia, you got to play at Notre Dame next year, you got to play um, even Kennesaw State who's going to be hyped up and they did not defend the option well two years ago. So, you know, with a defense that was literally all guys that defended the option in practice every day, pretty much the year before. So there are things to be concerned about on paper, but this is, you know, they pay Jeff a lot of money. They pay a staff. Well, you got to win some games. This ain't, this ain't the NFL. You're not playing for draft picks. Like you're not, that's not, there's no incentive to lose. You want to win. You want to have a competitive product. You're hopefully, knock on wood right now, we'll have a decent size, if not full stadium in the fall. I think that people will actually be energized if they can go safely. And it's been a year. It's been, oh, been, you know, um, whatever is, you know, over a year and something since any of them had seen a game. Oh, many of them had seen a game in person. So I think people are going to be fired up as hell for that. And, um you know, give them a good product because this is a great time to buy in and and sell yourself and you've got a cool product. You got maybe the best, you know, young player you've had since Calvin Johnson and Jameer Gibbs that you can sell. You have, you know, Jeff Sims is a young quarterback you can sell. You have these kind of swinging, um, interesting safeties that are have NFL level talent that haven't quite put it together yet, that have these large personalities that are fun. Like, can you sell them? You're going to have really interesting defensive line with Keon White and Jordan Dominic and Jared Ivey, Kyle Kennard and Antonius Clayton and Sylvain. That's that's probably the best defensive end group they've had in a long time in, start, in terms of straight talent, right? Um, so you should be able to get after the quarterback. Defensive tackle still, you know, a little iffy there, but um, still not exactly where you want to be, but 
uh, you know, they've got veteran guys at least there. So I think there's a lot to be excited about if you look at this big picture. And I think that's what Collins is kind of understanding that you got to win, you got to show progress, you've got to do these things. And one of the ways you do that is by having competition and bringing in a kid like Kirby. They've, and look, they haven't been afraid to do that. Look at the safety position, right? They brought in um, Derek Allen as a transfer from Notre Dame to jump into a super competitive situation where you had Caleb Oliver at the time as a four-star kid. They had, you know, Wanya Thomas who was a highly regarded recruit. Tariq Carpenter, who had turned into a very good player, was a sleeper that the old staff found. Yet um, when Derek got here, they still had Christian Campbell. Uh, you know, Jalen King, they moved over to safety. They had a stacked room and they weren't afraid to bring Derek Allen or recruit Caleb Edwards in the last class into that. So they've shown that they're willing to do that. The running, look at the running back room, man. It is four alpha type guys. Like you have Jordan Mason, who's going to play in the NFL, in my opinion. You have Jameer Gibbs, is probably going to be the next first round pick from Georgia Tech. You have, um, maybe a second round pick just because he's running back, but he's going to be a highly valued draft pick in the first, maybe the first running back off the board in his class. Then you have um, Dante Smith who would start at many schools right now. Jemias Griffin who would start or be pushing at many schools right now. Those four cats are all coexisting right now. So they've proven that ability. I think something I would like to see is more of a, if the offense is better, you're going to need three tackles anyways. They haven't been consistent enough to warrant a lot of substitutions with long drives or anything like that. So I think that, um, yeah, Kirby's going to have his chance to play. I think they're going to maybe um, kind of mix him and Jordan up a little bit. I think that's what you're going to see more of is that maybe at that right tackle spot, those two guys uh, do a little mix and matching and, you know, they're still got to figure out the left guard spot, too. I don't, you know, we think it's going to be Nick Penley, but we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen in the spring uh, when they actually suit up and start hitting. You know, if Kenny Cooper wins the starting center job, maybe they push uh, Minahan back out to guard. Maybe they do, you know, Paul is the guy or whoever. Like, we don't know what that, what that spot's future holds. Maybe they go add somebody in the portal after the spring if they're not happy with what, what it is. So, uh, as as we often say, things remain fluid. Um, and that's, I think, the one thing we've all learned from the Jeff Collins era is that, like, nothing's set, set in stone. Things are always sort of um, evolving or, or uh, changing. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that 100%. You know, one other really interesting thing right now going on with the football team is the quarterback situation. You go into spring, you have Jeff Sims, you have Jordan Yates, I guess, is the backup quarterback for now. And um, Demetrius Knight and Shane Peary battling for maybe a third, second job, depending on how that shapes out. But they're going to, they're going to sign probably two quarterbacks in this next cycle. And, um, there's you know, always going to be movement at that position just based on guys want to start and that kind of thing. So the the quarterback carousel is starting to shift. I think these kids wanted to all take visits. It was much slower than it's been the past few years. Normally the top quarterbacks start to come off the board uh, before the year turns for that yeah. next cycle. And it's been a lot slower this time around. And now we're 
starting to see the the run on quarterbacks. It's like in the NFL draft, a joke about this two teams in a row draft a safety and then some guy is like a fourth round pick goes in the you know second round because there's a run on safeties and someone's scared they're gonna get left without a guy. Uh, you're starting to see that with quarterbacks. So Notre Dame got theirs on Thursday night. You've had um, who else picked up quarterbacks? Uh, um, Missouri picked up Sam, Sam Horn. Horn. Yep. Uh, you had uh, Clemson picked up Cade Klubnik. Yep. I feel like there was one other one. Alabama picked up Ty Simpson. That's that was the other one I was thinking of was Ty Simpson. So now you're starting to see these guys drop off the board, right? And there just aren't. I think there's a lot of people unsure about what. Um, so the thing with the quarterbacks is like no one's seen any of these kids in person in, in over a year, if if they've ever seen them at all, right? Like I'm yeah. not sure that you know George Tech's ever seen some uh, probably about half of those quarterbacks they've offered ever in person, um, just right because they're out of state kids in areas that they're not you know canvassing Ohio uh, high schools or. Owensboro, Kentucky, or, um, you know, Delaware, or any of the other places they have quarterback offers out right now. Um, You know, so other than MJ, I'm not sure that they've seen most of these kids in person. Um, Right. So that's where it gets tough, right? You got to, I think that's where Georgia Tech's in a little bit bit of an advantage thinking they're going to take two. Um, But it's been interesting to kind of watch. Um, uh, you know, even we cover some other schools. They've a lot of them have been really gun shy with uh, their quarterbacks. I know Wake Forest took the one they took was the brother of one of their quarterbacks on the team right now. Like that, they just know they've known the kid for six years. So it's like, or four years at least. So you know that was a safe bet for them to take that kid, right? Like they kind of were like, all right, we can go in on this kid because we know him. Um, most of the other schools don't have one committed right now. And I think that's um, going to make this whole thing really interesting. And it's been kind of funny because Georgia Tech's gotten into a lot of battles now with Kentucky and recruiting and uh, their quarterback, at least one of the quarterback spots could come down to a couple of kids that, you know, like Kentucky's on and Georgia Tech are on um, in terms of those Midwest kids. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Uh, you know, I went, I went out to uh, work out and saw Drew Aller row on uh, this past Sunday. And, you know, I, I interviewed him and I talked to him for, you know, and we talked, I think it was our last podcast we talked about and how quickly you can tell if the kid's not going to Georgia Tech. And about 35 seconds into my interview with him, I'm like, man, I drove all the way out here to watch this. There's, Absolutely. I mean, he, he was interested in Georgia Tech, and you could tell like there was like some level of interest. But when you asked him about Penn State, when you asked him about Notre Dame, you, know, like, you see this kid's eyes like light up, and you're like, okay. And, um, you know, I put a future cast in for, for Drew Aller to, to Penn State, and you, know, you were talking about the, the Notre Dame edition of, of Steve Angeli or Angeli. I'm not sure how to pronounce yeah, it. Yeah, I don't know. The, uh, New Jersey quarterback, but you know, you see, like, I guess, like you said, these kids there, they were wanting to go on visits. And you know, Aller is somebody who actually went to Penn State on his own. And it's about a, I would say, a three hour drive for him, maybe a little bit more to um, State College, Happy Valley. 
Pennsylvania, and he went over there on his own, saw things, and was able to, to see what it was like as a student. And you know, hearing him explain that and how complex it was, because like, you know, you, you can look outside the facilities, but you can't go in them, obviously, because the coaches are in there. And unless the stadiums are open to the public and anybody can go in there at any time, you can't go, they, they can't go into stadiums either. And, and just hearing all of the, the, the loopholes that I can imagine other schools doing that I've seen on, on social media, like you saw before. Like a, being left open and stuff like that. I mean, yeah. that's one thing people don't realize, actually. Yeah. A lot of stadiums are, um, like I've walked into like um, Ohio State Stadium or, or Texas or some of these other places I've been where I haven't been to a game just on like an off day. Uh, checking yeah. something out and um, just going and, and, and checking the stadium out. Uh, and Georgia Tech for many years used to be able to get into pretty easily. I don't think you can anymore, but they used to have, they have this like door that would be open all the time. <laughs> you can, I would, I'd be out there covering something and it'd be like random people like walking out and like looking at me to make sure I wasn't like security or something <laughs> like, like scoping me out and kind of trying to sheepishly walk in. And obviously um, a lot of that's kind of gone away over the last decade or so, but um, yeah, it is funny to, to see, uh, see how that, that, that they're doing that. And there are some schools I imagine that are, are skirting this stuff and, and oh, doing absolutely. some uh, shady visits and, uh, you know, they're like, oh, I took a FaceTime tour. And um, no, <laughs> yeah, like a GA, go meet them incognito and show them around or something. Right, exactly. And, and you know, show them where to, to find something or to not find something that may have been of some kind of value. Yeah, it's uh, kind of crazy how, 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 uh, how this is uh, testing the, uh, more moralities of coaches right now uh, the non-visit thing yeah it's, it's been testing you know coaches moralities and you know for for us in our industry it's been kind of testing our sanity i mean you know really not having much visits to cover um you know like really the camp seasons are going to start picking up i mean rivals hasn't announced anything yet um, but i know under armor starting their camp series this weekend in miami um, you know, things are going to start picking up. Like, it's not going to be as dead as it was that first month plus of the, the pandemic. Because, you know, like, personally, I remember, you know, we, we had our, our baby, got home from the hospital, excuse my language, shit hit the fan, everything got shut down, and then there was, like, this almost like a dead, dead period where there was hardly anything going on. And it would just be, you know, I'd be talking to like Barrett Carter and, and a few of the other you know, top, top targets, Jordan Hancock and other, other kids. And everybody just was in wait and see mode because there, nobody had any idea what was going to happen. And then you know, a lot of schools started squeezing kids and then Georgia tech started getting, gaining commitment about, say a month or a month and a half later and that was when like everybody had been you know, talking about them on the message board how they they felt like the staff was being lazy da, 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 da. 
because that they weren't squeezing kids and taking ones that they were going to end up having to drop. Um, and then, you know, even talking about that, like in the 2021 class, there are so many schools that took commitments that they didn't really want that they had to sign because the, the, the plan A kid that they were waiting on and were willing to drop the plan B kid for found a school that was at a higher level than they could have ever imagined. And, and just kind of seeing how that plays out over the next few years, you, know, you saw um, a kid last week get out of his letter of intent for Texas A&M and then ended up at Oklahoma State. I mean, nothing against the Cowboys or, you know, Gundy or anything, but that, that's a, that's a drop-off from a, in a caliber of a program. And, you know, seeing that happen and then seeing what kids in, in this class enter the transfer portal and how quickly it happens, it, it, it's going to be fascinating to see how that goes. But there's not going to be that dead, dead period in 2021, like for the 22 class. Like, it feels like these kids are going to camp. They're getting offers. Um, you know, quarterbacks are coming off the board. Um, the thing I'm really curious about is, is what happens with Braden Davis. You know, we we talk a lot about MJ Moore. Uh, we don't really talk much about um, Davin Widner, the kid from Holy Trinity, teammates of James Blackstrain, really good friend. Um, he's somebody who I could easily see being the second quarterback in the class. Um, but like I said, you know, we talk a lot about MJ, but, you know, Braden Davis, is somebody who was, I believe, up in the top 250 when the first 22 rankings came out before heading down to Lake Mineola, Florida, playing against that level of competition, struggling with an ankle injury, and then you know, missing some time. And really, I, I, I don't think he ever really fully got adjusted to, to Florida high school football. And Florida high school football for a, for a, a Delaware kid can be a lot to handle, at least from a, from my point of view, I would think. Yeah, I think that um, it's just a totally different animal. Even just the going through what practices are like and the heat and the humidity and stuff you're dealing with there is a totally different animal. They have heat and humidity, obviously, up there, but it's not the same as what you would deal with uh, um, basically being um, – sort of on the water, but not, you're not actually on the water. There's no ocean breeze or anything. It's just humid and yeah. storms every afternoon. And it's kind of miserable. Yeah. And then with, with Braden, with Braden's recruitment, you know, he had that early um, offer from the, the big schools, kind of just like MJ does. Um, but seeing where Braden goes, I think Braden and MJ, what happens between those two is, in my opinion, what ends up being Georgia Tech's quarterback one in this class. You know, they would they would love to add Gavin Wimsat. Um, Notre Dame taking their quarterback commitment today from the four-star in New Jersey um, really, in my opinion, kind of solidifies that they believe that Wimsat set on Kentucky. Uh, you know, I was doing some research before the, the podcast for some other stuff, and it doesn't seem like Kentucky has a, a backup quarterback option. So it seems like they've completely gone all in on him. And with him being an in-state kid, it makes a ton of sense. Um, but that's something that Georgia Tech can't afford to do on a kid like that because he's not in-state. And, you know, Kentucky's not even a, a bordering state. So it's not like they could use 
you know, a, a bevy of connections or a large amount of them to be able to get it done. Um, so just seeing what happens with those three, I think, you know, Wimstead, I think will end up going to Kentucky. I just don't know when it'll be. Um, like I said, I think Aller goes to Penn State as soon as this weekend or even Monday. Um, Tanner Bailey is on the quarterback board and he's still kind of uh, been up in the air. Um, a lot of people like rush to put in their, their picks from to end up at, at South Carolina and there still is a lot of buzz that way, but there's some other SEC schools where they're trying to use their connections and their family members of his that they have on campuses. And it, it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. Um, but I don't see Georgia Tech being a, a main player there anymore. And then I also remove – I also don't see them leave the player for uh, Taven Jackson, the Indiana quarterback who has completely blown up. I see him being more of a, uh, a University of Florida target at the moment. So if you were, we'll say the proverbial gun to your head that they like to use on the message oh, board. God. <laughs> I mean, it seems like it would be MJ and then the kid from Holy Trinity right now. If you were to hazard a guess, if today they were to take two quarterbacks, those would be yeah. the two most likely to end up at Georgia Tech as of, you know, March 4th right now at 11 p.m. or whatever we're recording this. Yeah, I would agree with that. And then I, I would have Braden Davis um, underneath those two. And, I mean, things can change. Like, let's see if they have summer camps this summer, and let's see if there's visitors. And, or maybe they decide to take one and look at the portal, too. Like, that could be a possibility as well if they don't like um, – or things don't work out the way they want to. I think there's – I think there's going to be some kids that we see kind of pop up, um, you know, over the next couple of months, look at North Carolina is just starting to play uh, spring football now. And yeah, you know, we haven't seen Virginia play football in over a year. That's a huge area with a lot of kids. Um, so I think there's going to be some more names that pop up and that may move some guys around. And, you know, when one guy moves with the quarterback thing, it's like a set of dominoes, as we like to talk about that. Yeah. Um, you know, it, right now they're the dominoes are flowing, but they'll get restacked in a different way and they'll flow again at some point and things can change. You know, coaches can get fired, coordinators leave. There's a lot that can happen. And, and the thing that people forget, too, is they still recruit a lot of these kids just because a kid commits to Penn State or um, Kentucky. It doesn't mean they're going to stop recruiting them. So, you know, you never know what's going to happen until December rolls around and you see where the, the um, musical chairs end. So that's enough uh, mixed metaphors and whatever. Um, but, uh, you know, one other thing I want to yeah. touch on before we wrap things up here is uh, you've been covering your first season of Georgia Tech baseball. Um, you got your first taste of the classic midweek Georgia Tech heartbreaker uh, this week as they played was at Georgia State and got murdered. Oh, my God. Gosh, it wasn't even a heartbreak. It was uh, wasn't it like four to nothing or something in the first inning, like or yeah. With, with I just no remember stream. seeing you tweet the score, and I was like, oh goodness. Yeah, there was there was no stream either. There were uh, there were issues getting the the stream loaded because of the postponement due to weather. Um, it wasn't populating in ESPN um, like live now thing. And it, it was kind of like a, a bad omen, in my opinion, just like thinking about it, looking back on it now, because you couldn't watch it. And then all of a sudden you see the tweets and you see the live stats updates and, and courts walking guys and hitting guys and giving up homers. 
think he made it two thirds of an inning. It, it was it was not a good start. Uh, it was not a good start, and then you know it just seemed to kind of take the the lid off for for Georgia State's offense, and then you know Georgia Tech's offense just wasn't able to get it going. You know you you've had hot bats so far this season, and it, it really seemed like the the early deficit had them being much more aggressive, and with their their level of aggression, you know they were swinging at first pitches. They were I haven't gotten a chance to, to um, fully put together my Louisville preview, but there was a ton of first pitch swings on, on uh, Wednesday. And I felt like that was a major factor in Georgia State success pitching. Uh, between that and then you know, the three, four, five hitters really struggled with um, Georgia State starters' changeup. Uh, his changeup was causing a ton of issues all over the lineup, but really in the, the heart of the lineup where there's been the most production with Parada, with Compton, and, and even Reed, um, it, it was just K after K after K after K, looking and swinging. I mean, it was it was just consistent. Um, but the big thing that I want to see this weekend against Louisville especially is, you know, what, is, what does Danny Hall do, I mean, with his son? I mean, Colin Hall, I think, has the, the lowest batting average on the team. He's batting well under 200 um, and you know he's the I think he's the only regular batting under 200 because you know, you've got the who's really become the backup catcher and Jake Holland um, batting under 200 as well but you know he's not getting regular ABs um, so seeing what, what he does there with Colin and if he you know continues to try to give Holland a chance on Sundays and then DHing Parada um, you know there's there's a lot of decisions and then I finally was able to get an update on the status of, you know, Marquise Grissom Jr. yesterday on Wednesday as well. And, you know, hearing that he's going to be out for a while. And I guess we're supposed to possibly get an update next week. But it definitely did not sound promising. Yeah, you mentioned something that sticks to my mind. You talked about the three, four, five hitters and their struggles. Those three guys are all freshmen, right? And that's going to be interesting because now they have that on the books. Um, teams are seeing, oh, you know, they're struggling with something off speed. Are they going to get a steady diet of, of junk here in this Louisville series and not get a lot of fastballs and try to throw those guys off? And they're going to have to learn to be patient. That's one of those things when you're a freshman that can sometimes catch you off guard a little bit because, you know, in high school you're going to see a lot more fastballs and curveballs and um, seeing a, a good changeup is not as quite a regular occurrence. You see changeups that are just not good. So, um, yeah. or, you know, get yeah. split or, you know, a nasty slider or whatever it is. Like, it'll be interesting. That'll be something to watch too, but they need to get their bats to wake up a little bit here. Um, cause otherwise this yeah. could be an ugly weekend for them with Louisville. Yeah. It's, uh, I mean, Louisville is ranked as high as number one in the country. And then some others have them somewhere else, somewhere around the top 10, um, Georgia Tech's around the top 10 they're as high as like I think seven somewhere in one of those one of the five polls um, but you know like you said being able to to focus on that and then getting Louisville's pitch counts up the way um, George Tech's been able to do so far this season against their opponent um, I mean they've they've struggled with walks with their own pitching staff and we could have a 20-minute podcast about the, the lack of control but you know, they've also walked 45 times in eight games, which isn't too bad in their own right. 
And you know, being able to do that, especially against a team like Louisville, who's given up so few runs so far this season, um, there's there a lot of key factors, and I think that's one of them. Yeah, maybe Danny Hall puts a take on on a ball, on the first pitch for every one of the kids. Tells them to take the first pitch. Um, yeah. Well, on that note, we'll wrap things up. We'll uh, reconvene hopefully next week and, and give you an update and have a little bit of understanding of where Georgia Tech actually looks to project in the brackets. And hopefully we'll be talking about a win uh, over Wake Forest and then maybe a dub uh, by that point in the ACC tournament as well. For Russell Johnson, I'm Kelly Quinlan. This has been the Jackets Online Podcast.